What was she thinking? What was on her mind? What was Mary thinking about the first time she observed the Lord's Supper? When you look at the Lord's Supper, it's mentioned in seven major passages in the New Testament. Here they are. Seven major passages that deal with the Lord's Supper. Passage number one, Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 and following. It is rare to hear anybody talk about the Lord's Supper any length of time at all who will not mention one or more of these passages. Matthew 26, 26 and following. Passage number two. Mark chapter 14, verses 22 and following. Mark 14, 22 and following. These are good passages to keep in mind because the Lord's Supper was a crucial aspect of the worship of the early church. And it makes a lot of sense for the Lord's Supper to be a crucial aspect of the worship of the church today. Look, if you will, at Luke chapter 22. Here's a passage that's the third passage. There are three passages from the gospel accounts then that deal with the Lord's Supper, especially Matthew 26, Mark chapter 14, Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and following. The institution of the Lord's Supper in all three of these passages by Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. Now we go to the book of Acts. There are three passages from the gospel accounts that are especially about the Lord's Supper. There are two in Acts and there are two in 1 Corinthians. Acts chapter 2. Notice verse 42. Acts 2.42, and it was read for us just a few moments ago by our young brother James. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread. There are a variety of ways the Lord's Supper is spoken of in Scripture. The Lord's Supper, a communion, a time of thanksgiving, breaking bread. And while sometimes breaking bread has reference to maybe the eating of a meal... In Acts 2.42, because of the context, doctrine, fellowship, prayer, other aspects of worship, it makes great sense to believe that breaking of bread refers to the Lord's Supper in Acts 2.42. Then you turn to Acts 20 and verse 7 for the second of the two passages in the book of Acts regarding the Lord's Supper. Acts 20 and the verses 7. You see Paul breaking bread with brethren. The idea that he preached, the idea that he made it a point to stay, to be present, very important concerning the critical nature of the Lord's Supper. Certainly Paul had plenty of places to be and plenty of folks to see and a lot of people to preach to. But he made it a point to stay a little longer so that he could partake of the supper with brethren that were dear to his heart. Now, 1 Corinthians. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 through 22. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 through 22. If you're following along, this is the sixth of the seven passages where the Lord's Supper is referred to as a communion. It is a time of fellowship. It is where we are conveying something of the relationship we have with God, if we're Christians, and we are relaying something of the relationship we have with one another in the family of God as brothers and sisters. 1 Corinthians 10, 16-22. Finally, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and following. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 and following. Again, I say with little hesitation, no one can think about the Lord's Supper very much without focusing on one or more of these major seven passages. And in this passage, you have probably the most extensive treatment on the Supper given by the Apostle Paul. We are to partake the Lord's Supper with discernment. Looking back at what the Lord did, looking at the present as we look around at the family of God and the relationship we can have with God in Jesus, and looking ahead as we look forward to the time we'll all be together in glory. Those are the seven passages what I want to do is to just ask that question. What was Mary thinking? I don't believe that it's far off base at all to say that the first time Mary observed the Lord's Supper, remember Acts 1.14? She and the brothers of Jesus and others are with the apostles in the upper room. That's Acts 1.14 again. It doesn't involve any imagination because the very next chapter, Acts chapter 2, is verse 42, and the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. It doesn't require any imagination to think that Mary was present as they broke bread. But then it requires a sanctified, holy imagination to consider what was she thinking? What was she thinking? This lesson will be divided into two parts. Part number one, learning from Mary's emotions and memories. And part number two, learning from life life events of Mary, learning from the events of life in Mary's life. All right, emotions and memories. If you're thinking about Acts 2.42 with me, and Mary observing the Lord's Supper for the first time, when Waylon got up this morning and did the Lord's Supper meditation, he pointed us to the future. But I think of the emotions and memories of the just not so distant past with Mary. When she partook of the bread, the bread 
an element of the Lord's Supper. What was she thinking? I suspect she was thinking of Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. I have come to do your will, O God, a body you have prepared for me. Quoted in the New Testament later, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. A body you have prepared for me. And ladies, those of you who are moms, I wonder if Mary remembered when Jesus bounced in her womb. A body God prepared and gave to me as a virgin as part of His eternal plan for saving men. I wonder if Mary thought about the first time she saw the face of Jesus. I wonder if she thought about the first time he took his little hand with little fingers and wrapped them around one of hers. I wonder as she partook of the bread that represents the body of Jesus, she remembered the tears that went down his cheek when he hurt himself or cried. I remember Mary might. When, as a young man, he walked into the carpenter's shed and would take a hammer and nails and wood, the very things that would be the instrument of his death. Oh, what Mary must have thought about when she first observed the supper. Dare I say that Mary would have had more emotion and more vivid memories than any of us typically do as we observe the supper? And while I ask that question, shouldn't it be a time of real remembrance? And how can anyone truly honor the Lord and feel nothing when we observe the Lord's Supper as we remember what He did on our behalf? And then the fruit of the vine. What was she thinking? When Mary observed the Lord's Supper for the first time, when the fruit of the vine was passed, maybe she remembered Jesus as a little person coming bleeding maybe undoubtedly she would have gone back to the days just prior and thought about the blood of the nails placed into his hands and feet would have thought about his back beaten with many stripes, and it's by his stripes were healed. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. She would have thought about the blood as they placed the crown of thorns on his head, and what a real king she knew he must be, the king of kings. 
she would have thought about these things. And without question, she would have thought about a fountain for cleansing being open for sin, Zechariah 13 and verse 1. She would have thought about the Passover and how God passed over those who had honored His will with the blood of the Lamb. She would have thought about these things. Might I suggest humbly, so should we. So should we. Some misunderstanding really is out there regarding Mary. And I want to deal with three areas briefly before I move on to our second major point. Three areas of misunderstanding. Thinking about the emotions and memories of Mary, of Mary rather, and her, her, her life, and what we can learn from her life, the events of her life. There is not one passage in all of the New Testament that tells us to worship Mary. She's referred to as blessed, but so are a number of mere human beings. She is referred to as favored, so are a number of human beings. But she is never spoken of in the same reverence that Jesus is spoken of. And we must not worship Mary because she was not in the New Testament. There's no command. There's no example for such. Number two, misunderstandings about Mary. There is no passage, command, or example of praying to Mary. There is no passage, command, or example that authorizes, that gives us the right religiously to pray to Mary. I understand that there are people in this world that think of Mary as the mother of God, and in one sense that is true. But that does not mean she is worshipped, nor does it mean that she is prayed to. She is the mother of Jesus as it concerns his humanity. Anyone who understands much of Scripture must see that Jesus is eternal God, everlasting Father. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. Number three, the Bible does not teach the Bible does not teach the perpetual virginity of Mary. By that I mean she was a virgin when Jesus was conceived within her by the Holy Spirit and she remained a virgin throughout the rest of her life. Problem with that is this. While she was a virgin when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit within her, she did not remain a virgin for the rest of her life. More about that momentarily. Now... Let's move on to the second main point. We'll continue the lesson tonight, but let's move on to the second main point. Events 
an overview of Mary's life. In that we began with Acts 2, 42 and Acts 1, 14 and what Mary must have been thinking when she first observed the Lord's Supper, it seems to me that it makes a great deal of sense for us to look at the life of Mary and her experiences to help us see even more clearly what she would have been thinking about, what she obviously would have been thinking about. Therefore, let's look at several. Turn in your Bibles to John 19. John 19. Look at verses 25 through 27. Here is Mary at the foot of the cross. She is there beside the disciple whom Jesus loved. Most, and rightly I believe, think this to be John the Apostle. Here she is. And Jesus, as he bears the sin of all humanity, has the presence of mind to see his mother and to make sure she is cared for. You know... That would have been a very hard day for Mary to get over, wouldn't it? To get past. And Jesus says, Woman, behold your son! And son, behold your mother. And from that day, John takes Mary and treats her like she's his own mother. Jesus was the master of the moment even as he was dying for our sins. You know, there's some times that we're just not thinking clearly. There's some days that we're just not our best, and the older you get, the more often you have those days. Amen? But here is Jesus bearing our sins, enduring the nails, discouraging all the physical aspects of the crucifixion, and he's so... Post. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. The care for a loved one. What a compassionate word from Jesus. Then you can open your Bibles to Mark 3, 31 and following. Mark 3, 31 and following. Or Mark, a Matthew 12. It's a parallel account. Matthew 12, 46 through 50. Mark 3, 31 and following. Matthew 12, 46 through 50 especially. Jesus is teaching. He's instructing. Never a man so spake, John 7, 46. They were astonished at his doctrine, Matthew 7, 28 and 29. One of the things that Jesus was most often called is teacher. Teacher. And so he's teaching. And as he teaches, Mary and his brothers, John 7, 1 through 5, another passage to consider, come to the Lord and kind of interrupt the instruction. Some say, don't you know that your mother and brothers are here? 
And Jesus even takes that and uses it as a teaching opportunity. And He says, I want you to know that whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister, is my family. Think about the awfulness of being outside of God's family when He has done so much to invite us in to His family. Continue with me, if you will. Go in your Bibles to John chapter 2 and look at verse 12. John 2 and verse 12. Mary and others, along with some of his disciples, accompanied Jesus to Capernaum. Capernaum. They're there with him for several days. After he leaves Capernaum, he goes to Jerusalem and he cleanses the temple. John 2 would go on to say, so wedged between his first miracle of turning water into wine in John 2, 1 through 11, and driving the money changers out of the temple in John 2 later, is that he went with some of his followers, his mother and brothers, to Capernaum. I doubt that that was a vacation. I doubt that it was a vacation. But when you look at the marvelous life of Jesus and what he came to do, he saw that he needed to take points to regroup, to rethink. How many of us are always on overload and full charge as fast as we can? And we never think about stopping. It was Jesus who said that if we don't come apart for times of meditating and refocus on God, we may well fall apart, Mark 6, 31. That brings me to the last passage I want to mention this morning. John 2, 1 through 11. See the prominence of Mary in all the passages that we have been looking at? In John 2, 1 through 11, she is present at a wedding feast... And she is so hopeful that her son will do something when they run out of wine. A family could be sued for not providing sufficient resources for the feast, y'all, according to Jewish customs. And Mary isn't sure whether Jesus will do something or not, but she says to the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. 
John 2, verses 4 and 5. I believe that that is one of the greatest one-sentence lessons in all of the New Testament. Whatever Jesus says, do it. You won't go wrong. Whatever he says to you, do it. And when we look at John chapter 2, while many a Bible class wants to sit and discuss whether or not the wine was intoxicating, consider who is the one who made the water into wine. Would he knowingly get people drunk? Come on, man. Come on. And if the Lord can take water and turn it into wine, he can make the best taste in wine in the world that is non-intoxicating. The whole purpose of the miracle must not be missed. It is to show his glory. Look at John 2, 11. It's to what? It's to show his glory. It's not just so much to be a lesson on social drinking, right or wrong. While there's something there about that, there's way more. It's about the glory of Jesus Christ. Do you not just see what he did? Water and wine, different liquids. Time element. It takes time for the, the grape to become wine. No time element. It takes rich supply to feed, to help people drink. It's going to be at that kind of uh, get-together, a wedding. And you've got vast pictures that are full to the brim with water that Jesus turns into I'd say Mary was a really sharp woman to say, whatever he says to you, do it. Because there is no joy, there is no celebration, there is no wedding feast without the groom. And she knew how much God loved us. Because he sent the groom to this world. So we could be his bride. Thanks for listening. I only got about ten more verses from Mary's life. Ten more passages to cover tonight. So we'll make this one a two-parter. But I hope all of you will be back. Because there's so much about the Lord we will learn by seeing him through Mary's eyes. It'll help us to know more how to think and what to feel and what to remember when we observe the supper today. If you're not a Christian, you come to Jesus and respond to his saving grace in faith and repentance and baptism. At that point, the Lamb of God, Christ's blood, washes away your sin. We were redeemed, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, not with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with incorruptible 
the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus. I want to be part of the body of Christ, don't you? If I'm in the body of Christ, I want to praise God for the privilege. I want to be in God's family, don't you? If I am in God's family, I want to praise God for the privilege. And I know this about Mary, though I have never met her, I have studied her life. There was a sense in which tears flowed down her cheeks when she thought about Jesus, her King and Lord and Savior. There was a sense in which she was profoundly humbled. And there was a sense when she observed the supper in which she was so thankful and celebrated because the one who died on the cross would not stay in the tomb. We serve a risen Savior. Let us stand and sing.